Now entering Nerdist.com. Today's episode is recorded at ATX Television Festival. This year's fest is June 9th through 12th, and you should be there. They've already announced really cool stuff like an Everybody Loves Raymond reunion, Terriers, The Shield, uh, with a bunch of writers from that show. They've got Norman Lear. They've got Hart Hansen. Come on out. Go to atxfestival.com. Get your badge June 9th through 12th and come say hello. Great um, group for you, and uh, moderating this panel is Deborah Birnbaum from Variety. Here she comes, and she's going to introduce your lovely panelists. Thank you. Hi, everybody. How you doing? I'm really excited about this panel because there's nothing I love more than hearing about how everyone pitched their favorite shows. So I'd like to introduce all of our panelists and have them come out and join us. We've got Michael Jacobs, the executive producer of such notable shows as Boy Meets World, Dinosaurs, My Two Dads, Charles and Charles, and the upcoming Girl Meets World. My old friend Dan Harmon from Community and Rick and Morty. Um, Kathleen McCaffrey, the director of programming at HBO. And Mark Johnson, the executive producer of such shows as Rectify, Breaking Bad, Halt and Catch Fire, and Better Call Saul. So let's start with the obvious question. That's my real voice. (laughs) That's really offensive. (laughs) I don't believe you for one second. I spent way too much time talking to you already today. So let's start with the obvious question. Dan, how did you pitch? Let's start with Community. How did that pitch go? Uh, It was... uh... That was actually what I would call a kind of an overworked pitch. Um, I, I, my philosophy on pitching is that you should just you should be more in the zone and, and be like in the moment and ready for anything. But because it was a Sony project, you know, they were they they, they kind of tirelessly refined the pitch with me. So it was, and, and I pitched it. I think at every single network, and I will say that the, the NBC bought it in the room, and that was the most relaxed version. There's a sort of fatigue that sets in when you've got like these bullet points you're supposed to hit, and you're with these suits that are kind of sponsoring you and that you feel like you're performing and because you're going to walk out of the room and they're going to buy it or not and then it's like they're going to blame you if it didn't work it's, it's that, that 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 feelings in the air um and uh it, it, it but then with each successive pitch when they don't respond to it positively then you give yourself more and more permission to just start leaving stuff out that they thought was so mandatory and just start talking um and and it was it was the i just you know i said I, I, I honestly can't remember like like how the like uh, actual transcript of, of of what I pitched in there, but I do remember the fact that it was very it was much looser, and I just sort of I, I pitched the the general concept, and I, I I start I led with the idea that I it was based on a personal experience, which I think probably a lot of people up here are going to say over and over again is like a a big thing, like 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 a personal connection to the story. So I told I told the anecdote about me being in community college and finding out what an ass I had been my whole life by, by way of meeting these strangers that I became part of a study group with and, uh, and then sat and then, and then just went into. So this show would be like, the, you know, that, and, and, and just, and just ran down a list of the characters. Um, and, and you can kind of, yeah. And so that's it. That's my answer's too long. <laughs> the pitch was great. Much better than that answer. I wouldn't buy what I just said, <laughs> but they bought community. We'll we'll come back to how that story ended. (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen, I know you bought HBO's Girls. Can you talk about what that pitch process was like? You know what? That was interesting because it it actually wasn't a pitch. It was Lena had come in. I'd seen Tiny Furniture. Uh, She came in for a general meeting based on that. Like her agents called and set up a general. Um, And she, I don't know if anyone's seen her in person, but she's very charismatic. And she had a story to tell, to your point. And she was just talking about her life. And we were at a time where... Um, our half hours were leaning, skewing heavily male. We had bored to death on the air. We had hung, and so we were looking for something for women. Um, and she just had, you know, she was living it, and she was living her 20s and able to articulate it in such a way that it was inspiring and exciting. And so we, 
I bought a script from her thinking she had never written a TV script before. I bought a script from her thinking, well, you'll write a good script. It'll be it was an early project for me, so it'll be like paint by numbers development. Get you a script and staff you on something else. It'll just be a sample, and then it, you know we put Jenny Connor into it, and then it sort of like became girls and. It was sort of accidental, but to your point about personal experience, it truly was came out of her personal experience, just two of us talking, so it wasn't a pitch. They were calling girls in development. It was the female hung, right? It was the female hung. Something for the, yeah. Yeah, no, it was... Uh, it, was, it wasn't that complicated, it wasn't structured, it was just kind of like a, let's try this, and it, the fact that, he, I remember when Judd got involved, and then I, we were in a big meeting talking about it, and he said to Mike Lombardo, we could, you know, we could shoot this in November, and Lena looked at me and said, shoot what? <laughs> it wouldn't, it was like, why are we shoot? this seems crazy. <laughs> so, that, that was that story. Mark, can you talk about your pitch process? Pick a show, any show. Well, it's funny. I'm thinking of the shows that I've been most recently recently involved in, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and Halt and Catch Fire and Rectify. They're all they were all scripts, hmm. you know. So so um, we just sort of plopped them down and said, okay, this is this is what the show is. The irony is, for me, the bigger problem was less the pitch initially is. Once I read the pilot, what, what's the show? Even Breaking Bad, and it's a brilliant, even if I do say so myself, a brilliant <laughs> well, like you pilot. Say it. But then you, it had its moments. Right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know, where's it going to go? What's, what's the show? Mm-hmm. And um, sort of we discovered it along the, along the way. Um, it's interesting. The pitching process, it's so different every time. Mm-hmm. For instance, it was, it was leaked recently. We're, we're going to do hopefully do a television show based on our movie Galaxy Quest and there are people who want to buy it just sight unseen you know it's just okay we love the movie and we have the original director and writer and producer so 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 that's it um, but I have it's been a while since maybe it's been a while since I've sold a pitch but uh, <laughs> but we've uh, we've been able to sell some uh, scripts that were just hanging around well, talk about also the idea of you know Better Call Saul because that's you know it sounds like a great idea, but even the development of that wasn't just a slam dunk in the beginning. I mean, can you talk about that? Sure. Um, you know, I think both Vince Gilligan and I've been involved with Vince Gilligan. I actually met Vince Gilligan at a film festival uh, in 1989. And I read a script of his called Home Fries, which I just loved. It was part of the a, a screenplay competition. We ended up making it with Drew Barrymore and uh, and, and Dean Pariseau directed it. But um, he was very much against doing any kind of spinoff or anything that had anything to do with Breaking Bad. And I, I said to him after Breaking Bad, we shouldn't, you know, you should leave the business. You should get into dry cleaning. <laughs> Anything other than television, because no matter what you do, you know it could be the Magnificent Ambersons or something. Yeah, but it's no Breaking Bad, you know. But lo and behold, he he stuck to landing. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how you take a character from that show and give, in this case, give him his own series, and it works on its own. And you know, those of us who saw the show, the show, you know, is called Better Call Saul. Those of you who saw the first episode, Saul's not even in it. It's Jimmy. It's another character. So there's part of what's sort of fun about it. It's connected to Breaking Bad, but it, it's not really. So subconsciously, we're saying, how does this character go from Jimmy? To Saul, to Saul Goodman, how, did, how does he get there? But so we spent a lot of time talking about it, and and Peter Gould, who came up with the character of Saul Goodman, he and Vince just they they thought, well, that might be interesting. Let's talk about it, and they probably spent a year and a half just toying with the idea of whether or not there was a show there. And we're glad they did. Michael, do you want to talk about? You want to start with Boy Meets World? Um, sure. Uh, actually, I'll I'll start with dinosaurs because that was a one sentence pitch. Um, we we I was we were wrapping up dinosaurs. Dinosaurs was just finishing on on uh, ABC. Uh, what happened was that uh, uh, Jim Henson had an idea, and the idea was a domesticated family of dinosaurs. And Brian came to me and said, "We got 
a domestic family of dinosaurs. ABC says that's not quite enough. I said, come on, let's go in. And I said, Ted, I think Teddy was the president at that point. Uh, um, that's what made them go extinct, Ted. And he went series. And, and so that's basically what we became. Boy Meets World was uh, really interesting. Uh, this is probably the worst thing to say in front of creative people, but this is what happened. Uh, we had just wrapped dinosaurs, wrap. And a Disney exec says, what are you doing next? I said, I want to go sleep. And he said, uh, what's your next show? We want to know what the next show is. And so I said, I don't know. Give me, a, give, me, give me a week. And I walked down the halls of Disney, and this mad scientist guy who was in this room with charts and grades says, come in. And I said, yeah. He said, look at these charts. And I said, what are they? And he said, P&G charts. And I had no idea what that meant. And he said, Procter & Gamble. And I said, yeah. And he said, do you know how much money, indirect and direct, the 2 to 11 demo spends? And I said, $240. And <laughs> he said, $9 billion, and here's the way it's split. The Indirect, which means uh, kids will ask their mom or dad for something in Toys R Us, and they'll say, "I want Transformers," and they'll they'll ring it up to an indirect sale because the parents were there. Direct is this is what I do with my allowance. This is the money that the kid actually has in his pocket, and they separate it. And he showed me that there is no other amount of money, which is why I guess the demos stopped at what it used to go to 54, and now I think it's 48, And because and, we stopped spending money. So what happens is uh, this guy from Disney says, if you can capture 2 to 11, we'll put you on the air, and you don't even have to think of what the show is, just tell us how to capture two to eleven. So I thought that's terrible, and and how do you how that's that's an affront to anybody's sensibility. What if it wasn't the oldest kid who went on the first date? What if it was the reaction of the middle kid to the older brother's first date? And I walked down the hall to the guy that was running Disney Television, and I said call Stu and Ted over at ABC and ask if they have an 11-year-old kid uh, 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 booked for talent development. And they said they have one. His name is Ben Savage. I said, tell him to hold him for me. And they said, what's the idea? I said, I only have a sentence. And we went to Disney and I said, let's do a series where it's about the middle child. And that way, the youngest child looks up to him. But he is enamored of what his older brother is going through. But the whole story is told from that point of view of someone who isn't formed, used to be safe because he was a baby isn't safe anymore and is nowhere near as secure as the oldest firstborn member of the family is. We went and we pitched exactly that to ABC and they said, who do you want to star in this? Because as a kid, I said, you know, I've seen this kid's work. His name is Ben Savage. Do you know him? <laughs> Series. And that was a story. And then how did you end up with Girl Meets World? We went in and we said, well, we did that thing about the... <laughs> no, Disney, Disney called me and said, do you want to do Boy Meets World again? And I said, no, it's still it's on the air. It's still on the air. It's 22 years. And, and uh, they said, uh, so you don't? And I said, no, let it, let it run. Uh, it's hard to do. So, uh, Mark was saying, sequels, something off an original series, it's just death. The, the, the audience, you guys are looking to, you know, destroy it. And rightly so. Um, and I said in the last panel, there are very few Francis Ford Coppola's. There are very few lightning strikes like that. We go, oh my God, I think this may be, it's at least as good as the original. So now um, they said one thing to me, which I think would interest any of you, which is that there's nothing in the kids' space that we think is telling stories that don't talk down. And and Boy was a series that at least had respect. And so I said, well, in real time, they could have had kids. And they said, when can you get here? And that was that. <laughs> 
Kathleen, as someone who hears pitches all day long, what makes something stand out to you? Well, it's, it's hard now to stand out because you hear so many pitches and, you know, so many worlds and things, you, you know, over and over again. Um, but I do think, it, to your earlier point, the more personal the story, the better if you, you know, and there's nothing wrong with coming in and pitching and reading off of something or being prepared. That's I'm not saying don't do your homework, but the more connected you are to what you are talking about and the story you want to tell. Um, to, for me, it's always someone who has, like, an unanswered question or something they're struggling with. Like, not to say that I want to exploit everyone's, like, pain and dark secrets, but I kind of do. Um, <laughs> The, the stuff that they're uncomfortable with is usually interesting and cool, and there's the show in that, because it's probably universal, blah, blah. So, yeah, really, it's just like if you come in and talk about you in some way, wherever you said it, wherever you decide to put it, that's typically, for me, what strikes. Like, that's what I get emotional about and sort of connect to versus, like, it's a hospital filled with, you know, like, you can, if you start with the place, you tip, well, all of us can like, yeah. fill it in very quickly, but if you start with a person, you kind of never know where it's going to go, so. Yeah, if you're, if you're describing a, uh, a convolution, a situation, a construction, then then you're actually asking the other person, the person you're pitching it to, to use their imagination. Exactly. Um, and if and if they're and then if they see a shelf life in, in their writing of the show, then that's the shelf life of your idea, whether you like it or not. If but so what you really want to be pitching is you want the other person to be thinking, man, I I, I don't want to not be in business with this person right. because they've they are they are twitching and freaking out and I always like, like I, for, I, I tell young writers actually lie if you have to if you're a genius and you have a great idea about an octopus monster that, that uh, attacks New York and and, and, it, and you know because you're you're just a damn genius and it's going to be a great show I say still lie make up a reason why it's personal just say uh, <laughs> just start the pitch with like my mom was always trying you know she was like an octopus oh, <laughs> I, right. I'll I, be like oh my gosh she be, was an octopus because the truth is <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, and it's a, and it's the it's a, one of the only things that I would ever tell people to do dishonestly in the room, yeah. just because I mean, it's it, it, it's because for for the best reasons uh, in the world, the, the 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 suits are 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 paid to mine for passion, yeah. um, and, and and I mean because that is the rare thing. Ideas are dumb; um, they grow on trees. It's not there's nothing uh, 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 new about the idea of a meth dealer uh it, it, it's and and, and it, it, it's yeah the the thing that's that you cannot find no matter how hard you try and that ends up making everybody a bunch of money is is yeah, the per, is, is the is the idea of somebody being like vibrating about an idea mm-hmm. how important is it to you that somebody comes in with elements with their with their pitch an actor it's more common now than ever and we certainly like that I mean you know if it's a new writer we're going to find a supervisor somebody to come in and check for the process so if if it comes in pre-packaged fine if it all fits together and they love each other what doesn't work is when something's put together and people are like meeting for the first time in the room Mm -hmm. you want to feel like there's a connection and this you know obviously TV goes on and on and on you want like a nice family where everyone feels respected and you know that they have a role um but it's not crucial if you're just I I I love putting stuff together myself internally so if you come in with a bald idea and it's just you and you have no experience but you have a real voice and a vision we'll figure it out you know it's not crucial that said you know when Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey walk their door you go yes <laughs> yes, I'll have that. <laughs> there, there are some executives that have tells, though. I don't know if you have a tell. There's a guy named Harvey Shepard. He used to CBS, his daughter Greer, and he had a tell. And the tell was, if his hand hit the desk, the pitch was over. Now we all knew that. We all knew that going in. And I did a show called Charles in Charge, one of the first male nanny shows. And and so uh, I go into Harvey and I pitch the show. And Harvey is like this. And I said, all right, Harvey, it's it's a, a kid who is torn between uh, his best friend and his girlfriend. Uh, and he also wants to make it through college. So he's in college and... <laughs> But it's a, it's a, it's he's very hip. His best friend is hip, but his girlfriend is gorgeous. 
and I pitched Charles and George all about the girlfriend, and they bought it based on that. It was the number you, three. You used his arm like an e-meter. That's exactly right. <laughs> and there's a guy at ABC who you all know him. He he used to have a swivel chair, and he would just swivel in his chair. He would turn in his chair, and if his legs went into the chair and his knee rested on his legs, you were dead. And it was the, I mean, have the image of trying to pitch. I mean, your your family having food depends on this next hour. And there's a guy in his chair going, and you know your family starves. And then. I'm curious in this era when there's so many different platforms and so many networks, how much do you have to cater your pitch to go into HBO? This is a perfect HBO show because X. And then take that same pitch to Showtime and you know take it across town and target it to each different network, a different platform. I think that used to be a much, much bigger deal. Yeah. I mean, now we're in the age where all of those basic cable channels are like, you know, we're TNN. We're not the Nashville network or anything. Um, we're, you know, like, like all those networks that used to be like the cat network. And now it's like cat with a K and <laughs> like, like, like the, the, the discovery channel, the, the learning channel. You, you, you wouldn't know what show was on any of these channels because it's like the learning channel is like, hey, everything's a lesson. Um <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why this show about toilets is on. Uh, it, it, um, anyways, but but and, and I think also that's. I mean, it's the most severe there in basic cable. But even the networks themselves, it's like, how would we have known that Last Man on Earth was a, was a Fox pitch? I mean, it, it would. It didn't. It doesn't sound like a Fox compatible pitch at all. But Fox is constantly. The networks are now in. I won't say turmoil, but they're in a state of of inventiveness. <laughs> they're uh, they're on their toes. So I actually. I mean, I think there's still big differences. I think if they're, they're, they're uh, it's hard to, you'd have to go by a case by case basis, but I actually have a small little studio. So I'm starting to sit in this chair, um, as the guy who's like hearing someone's idea. And I, I guess I do think, okay, well, this is where we should pitch that. Um, but Hulu's always on the list. There's nothing that you're going to like, let's not take that to Hulu. They'll never buy that. <laughs> like, we don't know what Hulu's brand is. It's just, uh, they, they, they probably have all kinds of conversations about it, but it's not established. And, uh, um, so, uh, it, it, I think there's, yeah, you go like, okay, this will only work at HBO. Otherwise you're screwed because you're talking about like, it's neither a comedy nor a drama. And it's kind of like, um, uh, I don't. Why am I answering this question? <laughs> no, because because you're right. Actually, be, because uh, it used to be before the advent of quality on cable, it was a CBS show, an NBC pitch. It's an ABC mm-hmm. family show, and then HBO happened and Showtime happened, and all it, remember Cable Ace Awards, right? Now all the Emmys go there, and I think the networks have consolidated just to find quality. You said you wanted to shy away from turmoil. I think there's a little turmoil. <laughs> I didn't want to be the one to say it. So. <laughs> I mean, I might uh, need to work for you guys at some point. <laughs> I do a lot of pitching still in the, in the feature world. In the feature world, up till recent, you were very mindful of what studio you were going to and what kinds of movies they were making. Now I pay close attention and will sort of model a pitch based on who the executive is who's going to hear it. And there's a great deal of latitude. So if I go to Paramount, there are two or three people I may pitch something to, and I'll say, wait, no, this one is absolutely no good for him, but let's take it take it to her. And you'll, you will, you know, you'll be tantamount to line. You will leave out certain elements that you know that, that are not particularly appealing to that executive, even though you have every pos- every reason to put them in the the show, the the the, the pilot, once or the pilot or the or the script is once you uh, once you start on it. And then I guess the correlated to that question is, given that there are so many platforms now, do you feel like there's more opportunity for TV writers? Oh God, yeah. I mean, yeah. You don't have to. It's a glorious time to be a writer, creatively, not financially. But um, <laughs> it's a glor- It's like you don't. You simply no longer have to. Uh, Ten years ago, you really had to box yourself in. You had to. You had to ask questions like, "Is this going to be a comedy or a drama?" And you truly do not have to know that anymore. Um, the the days of the time slots and the uh, all this all all, all of that it just it, it trickles down from the idea that we were broadcasting one way transmissions and this appointment viewing and there's schedules and there's time slots. Uh, now that that's being yanked out, like it, it, you can just you can just go sell your passion. You can just walk into a room and just say, "I want to make a show." So this, 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 and that. And you you don't have to 
worry so much about all that stuff anymore. I mean, these guys are strategists. I mean, I'm hearing like, 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 and so I definitely welcome disagreement about that, but, but, um, I, it, it, because the only thing that sells is passion and because you don't technically need anymore to box yourself in, um, definitely get get rid of that because that that was always undercutting you anyway um so uh, i'm not going to say why am i answering this question at the end of every answer <laughs> but that's what's ringing in my head as i finish talking anyone else want to add to that negative passion works just as well by the way <laughs> uh, if the network this guy hates himself i see a hundred episodes <laughs> so look, that's exactly right there was there was a network that came and said we want you to do this idea and i said there is not a shot that i would do this awful and they said you're very passionate <laughs> i said this on the air <laughs> and i said and that's and yeah negative passion works sometimes <laughs> What mistakes have you seen writers make in pitch meetings? Or have you yourselves made in pitch meetings? Honestly, I just pushing, don't push back in a pitch meeting. It's not the time. I, I, I don't argue with people. It's the, it, not because you're being dishonest. You're not a politician, but it's just not the time to be argumentative. It's it's the, the, all the person that you're pitching to is you're trying to sell your the idea of working with this person forever. Um, and if you're if you spend your first meeting like like you know like disagreeing and quibbling and nitpicking and pushing back, like they're just going to go. Well, I have my choice of people to work with. So I, it's a, I, I really encourage writers to. To get improv training, the most basic improv training in the world. Because, like, sign up for a workshop and drop it after two classes. Because in those two classes, you learn: don't ask questions, don't deny. Just in an improv scene, it's called yes and. You just, it just that is what you need for a pitch. You got your idea for an octopus, and then the guy starts swiveling in his chair and he says, like, could it have a female lead? Because he just got yelled at by his boss, but there's not enough female things. Say yes, yes. <laughs> Say yes. It could be a female octopus. You know why? Because you just sell your show. Like, like it, my show was not about a community college. I did not pitch like I'm nuts. It's going to be nuts. Um, I just, <laughs> you know, they, 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 like whatever they said, I said yes, 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 yes. I went into CBS and they said, could the lead be female? That's an actual example. When I pitched community, I said yes because it could have been. It could have been. I would have. I would have either made that work or they would have found out I was lying uh, when I turned in my first draft. And it, it, it's it's just they're they're not. Yeah, it's just not the time for. For to stand to draw a line in the sand, it's the time to get a job. But I think there's a fine line because you don't want to cave either. I don't know. Like I could be like, you know, if you really didn't want the lead to be a female, you could be like, you know, well, I'll look look at that. Is always a good. I mean, it's 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 nice that we're taking these sides of the thing. I mean, because it's like, I mean, you're yeah, you're the one hearing pitches, and I'm the one. And and so I'm saying, just sell out. And you can't say that, but but I'm I, I, if you could think of an example, I mean I'm sure there would be an example where I'd be like, okay, don't bother. That person doesn't want your show. But but I don't know. I can't even think of an example where it'd be like, oh, don't cave in the room. Not even no, but not cave. Like there's a fine line. Like yeah. you know, just be open. I would say be open versus you know, because we do want to know. Because now so much so much of, to your point about the scripts coming in, whatever. Now it's there are a lot of like, well, what's the show and what's the vision, and we do mm-hmm. expect that that will be something you have a grasp on when you come into the room. It's not just the pilot so um so if it's you know if your whole story is about a guy and we say can it be a girl you know it's okay to be like i i think it's okay to be like you know what i envisioned it this way but i'm open to conversation something like yeah i mean that's yeah that's a that's a qualified yes yeah 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 qualifier yeah just uh, yeah i I just like that that you know that arm foldy like 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 arguing like that writer archetype like you're walking into a door where people are presuming that you're a cranky nerd you know um and and the guy that's going to beat you or lady that's going to beat you um, is going to be the writer that is like, wow, that was refreshing. And a lot of those people are hacks, and that's why a lot of TV is bad. Um, and, it, and you don't have to, you don't have to have great breath, and you don't have to make eye contact, and you don't have to have good body language. You, uh, I don't, I, I don't believe in any of that stuff. Be yourself, but don't argue. Like, don't. Like, <laughs> well, don't, well, don't like get in their face with your bad breath. And, Brandon Tartikoff, ta- Brandon Tartikoff taught me exactly what you're talking about, and he did it so early in my career that I'm really indebted to him for this. He said this. There was Brandon, Warren Littlefield, and Perry Simon. And those were the three executives. And it was Perry, Warren, Brandon. So Perry would look at a script of an episode that was on the air. And he would say, 
red, 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 needs more red, 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 red. And you'd put a little red in it. And Littlefield would read it next. And Littlefield would call. And I would say, wait, I already, he said blue. Blue, blue. Perry said red, but blue. Red, blue. And I would write a second draft. And Tartikoff called me. He said, I want to have lunch with you. It's okay. And we sat and we had lunch. He said, I like your writing. I think that you know what you're doing. I need to give you a piece of advice. We have a formula here at NBC. It's red, blue, 26. And I said, what does that mean? He said, the first executive is going to tell you it needs more red. The second executive is going to tell you it needs more blue. I'm going to say it has nothing to do with colors. It's about numbers. Put in some 26. And once I learned that, that what they're trying to do is explain that there's X amount of writers, a small percentage of them are good, and the network views them as reputable suppliers. To be a reputable supplier in pitch and in execution, understand that they have their training too. I'm looking at you. And that there is a training that will soon shake the writers who aren't going to make it from the trees. And I'm indebted to Brandon for teaching me that very early. I mean, you're saying, but you're saying in the execution of the draft, you still, I mean, is the, was the moral of that story you put, you wrote a, you wrote, you wrote a draft that had some red and had some blue. Was it a good draft or? No, I, I, my, my moral is you're saying not to argue. I argue all the time, but I don't work much. So, so there's, <laughs> you know, there's that. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm great in a room. I've, I sell everything because of, I guess I'm a, because of the advice I just gave you guys. And. And I guess the cautionary tale is then my drafts come in and they're like, this isn't what we bought. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, now I'm arguing with you. That's a good script, baby. <laughs> well, that was my next question because community is many things, but it is not a story about a bunch of community college students. Yeah. Well, it became, yeah. I mean, it, well, it was, my, Michael was uh, like backstage was just telling me like he's saying my daughter loves community and she like the, um, the, uh, which she became obsessed with as as we started to watch it, like the story about the show became or something. I don't remember how you put it, but I was like, I was like, oh boy, yeah, isn't? I mean, ain't that the truth? Because it's like it's on Yahoo now, and there's no bad guys, and and now no everyone's watching it, and nobody cares. <laughs> like we just finished a sixth season, it's like we, we get the metrics from Yahoo, and it's like no Nielsen system, so it's like whoa, whoa, twenty what million what? Um, holy crap! Can we tell anybody this? No. Um, um, we, we can tell Honda uh, it's their business and, uh, and and it's like unique impressions and it's different from like viewings and all this stuff but it's like a lot of people the margin of error on the Nielsen needle turns out to be about 19 million um, the, the uh, but 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 the irony is like it's no, there's no conversation about it anymore like for that, that sixth season or I don't know if that was an illusion of, of, of my experience but it was like all of a sudden it's just like no one's talk no one really cares about the show in the in the meta sense it was like that sh- just i'm just elaborating on your point it's like the community definitely not only did the show stop being about misfits at a community college but the show itself became a character and a more important story <laughs> than the show itself it was like there was a darth vader and there was a there was a horrible terrible showrunner and um, <laughs> uh anyways i i, I what was your question <laughs> I was trying to make a larger point about how a show can change from pitch to screen. Uh, yeah. I mean, I always, I put Abed in the pilot because I, I always knew, I wasn't being deceptive, but I always knew because I was, it was me pitching a sitcom, which I, I grew up on and I always wanted to write one. And I, I, but I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to execute it for 100 episodes without getting bored or like just being bad at it. I just really didn't have my have faith in myself to execute that craft like uh, like somebody who came up through the through the ranks and stuff. And um because I'm sort of a sci-fi writer at heart or a, just a, maybe a movie writer or something at heart and here I am writing this TV show. So so I put the character of Abed in there 
and I had him do the like the Breakfast Club reference and things, and I had him, and then in the second episode, and that was enough. That was like, okay, he's the weird guy in pop culture, fine. And then in the second episode, I, I very strategically immediately declared him a film major. Um, like the, he's he's interested in being a filmmaker. I was like the whole time I was just setting up the idea that it, he it would be okay for him to say while this story is happening, doesn't it feel an awful lot like a story? You know, doesn't it feel like we're on television sometimes, which is not meant to undermine the fourth wall. It's not meant to break it. It's meant to shore it up in a world where television is increasingly disconnected from the viewer. Uh, and, and, and where the writer is like, is always just thinking about TV and was raised by it. If you, it was my way of saying, of making the show more real, more believable, um, to have a character in it that was allowed to say this feels like a bottle episode this feels like an amnesia story this feels like you know it feels like we're doing this it feels like you're doing a sam and diane is that what's going on here you guys do you think you're gonna do a will they won't they it's not gonna work we don't like it um and just working that stuff out on the screen in the language that 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 i and my audience understood um yeah that's 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 why the show became like this lunatic (laughs) journey i mean i think after a while i did get bored anyway and it just got it turned into a fever dream. (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen, can you talk about the evolution of girls from that? Because like you said, it just started with Lena's personality. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, it started with her personality, and and it was very reflective of her world, those the people that she wrote were her actual friends. And, um, you know, there's some of the the casting has something to do with that. Adam was only supposed to be in the pilot, and now he's Adam Driver, but that went a different way. Um, (laughs) And, you know, so it was... Those kind of things happened in the production, but it was inter- the most interesting part of that process. The you know sort of the change was from first season to second season. Because first season we shot all ten before we aired, so there wasn't um, it was just wasn't out there. It was this very secret little thing that I felt like we did in, in a vacuum. It was lovely, and then the second between first season and second season, there were obviously the haters and Twitter and all the things, and and so I do. I, it, Lena doesn't read it and, it, and I hope it you know it doesn't really influence, but her life changed, so it became a little bit more of like now she was leaning more heavily on the writers' room, and it wasn't. It was a, but a lot of people's stories and Jenny's story and the other writers' stories instead of just her story. So that was kind of the biggest shift. Is that it got you know once it gets out to the world, it becomes some it takes a lot has a life of its own. It's crazy, crazy to watch the haters on that. <laughs> it's scary out there, I know. Yeah. I mean, especially for women, but th- that's a different panel. I mean, that's I, I'm shocked at, at like how much we hate women. I, I, I didn't even know. I thought I thought I knew. Well, I Lena is like has been burnt at the stake like online. I, I, it's like an actual witch. Burning, and it, and it actually for the same reasons that we burnt witches because it's a powerful woman in the village who's like magical, and that's like just burn her, set her on fire. Really, it's been horrifying and so educational, and it's a million things. And she is thankfully great about it, and is very protected by smart people around her who she only sees so much of. It, but she knows. I mean, it's, you, you can't can't not see it. It's so crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna leave my penis on this table and walk away from it because I'm so ashamed at how, how we <laughs> treated Lena Dunham. I like. I like um, although there's a lot of there's a lot of 16 year old girls on Tumblr who are also buying into that crap and like hating on her, which that's the biggest tragedy. <clears throat> Anyways, different panel, different panel. What's your pitch? <laughs> Next season, Margaret, we're gonna get to talk a little at all about Rectify. So I wanted to ask you about that show because it's so lovely and quiet and wonderful, and how that has evolved from you know how it was originally conceived. Uh, it's interesting. One of the great things about about cable television is right now and these shows how they can evolve and you're not repeating yourself you're truly growing so I think that the pilots or the original episodes that we've done of shows don't necessarily point to where the show is going or where it's gone you look at Breaking Bad and and people know initially Jesse Pinkman was going to be killed in the first season and we were able to look at it and say look how well Walton here working together, this would be crazy. So let's have this sort of relationship going. And and that sort of really became the show. In in Rectify, we started it, Ray McKinnon, who created it, 
was fascinated by people who who were exonerated or got out, got off of death row for a variety of reasons, from DNA evidence or whatever. But what he was fascinated, he said, we've all seen those those people who get out who are interviewed the day they get released. Say, what do you want to do? Well, I mean, you know, I want to go hug my mama and have a beer and 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 eat a steak or something like that. He said, but what happens the next day? What happens the day after that? So he posited a show in which there's this man-child who comes back into his community and everybody around him is somehow compromised, even those people who wanted him back to, to get, get out, out, of, out of jail. So the first season was literally that next day and the next day and the next day. And we did, we did a full week. I think we did six episodes that took up seven, seven, seven days. And then the next season, we wanted to try a whole different thing. And we just just about to start our third season, which barely resembles the first season at this point. The characters are all there, but they are different people, and they're reacting differently to Daniel Holden, who was the guy who got out of prison. And he himself, it's almost like the life of a child. So... If you wanted, if you loved the first season, that's what you wanted to see again, you probably shouldn't watch it. <laughs> you know, it's because it, it's, it's a different show. Obviously, I think it's better and it builds on what, what, what preceded it. And you guys added that monkey. <laughs> Which I thought was actually a really, it was a crass move, but it, like, it was, it's fun. I love that monkey. Yeah, but it was a female monkey. <laughs> female monkey. Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> Season two of Rectify. <laughs> He's just got a monkey. <laughs> Michael, what about your shows? How have they evolved since your original pitches? Oh, well, the great thing is that, you know, you hire these actors and, and you you sit and you write and you're on a blank page and you're creating these characters. And then these actual living people, uh, male, female, uh, uh, come in and you, yeah, Boy Meets World versus Girl Meets World, I mean, the male, female issues that we go through are really interesting um, because it's funny. I agree with absolutely everything that you are saying, but... I also try to, um, if I cater to, this character does this because he's male, or this character does this because she's female, I hurt my script. I think that when I am completely not gender biased in any direction, and I write them as people that are growing up interrelating with each other, that's when we do our best episodes. I, uh, the, the question you're, you're asking is, the, is best answered by saying that I feel like I work for them now. I feel like in the beginning, you know, if I create a character... And cast somebody because you just fall in love with this, this with Rowan or Sabrina, or, or and and then I get to know them. I'm lying if I say I'm making them play the character. I I I write the best I can for that human being, and they bring what they have naturally, and that's how the show evolves. Then I then I wonder now that we're this family of people working together. Tell me what motivates you, and we sit and we have lunch, or we, where I bring the actors up to, and I just want to get to know them. And I think the best evolution of a show is when you, the, when the audience realizes there's real chemistry here, and I believe if there's one moment in a half hour that approaches anywhere near believable, for me it's a good half hour. I I was I'm lucky enough to 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 work with Mark once. What we haven't talked about is, you know. The, Dan and I, I mean, it, it's difficult. Half hour is, you know, especially in today's world, a very difficult commodity. It's hard to know what good is. I, I, I worked with Mark once, and everything on his resume, when I got to meet him, I wanted to know who it was that I was going to work with. The shows he's talking about, these titles that he's throwing, even in comedy, Galaxy Quest, it's the best resume that, that I've ever known or worked with. My question is, what is the sense of knowing this is going to be good and I want to be attached to it and then that just evolves and stays good? Because uh, from rain man on the, the level of quality is just enormous well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you 
Thank, and no, th- thank you so much for saying, for saying that. I, you know what? I believe I'm the luckiest person I know. I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do since I was a kid. I still can't believe that I'm I'm involved in it. You know, every time I drive on the studio gate and the security guy waves well, they let on, you in. I, yeah. think, <laughs> I think they made a terrible mistake. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I... Same with, 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 with features and, and, you know, I've done a little bit of everything from big ones like Galaxy Quest to Donnie Brasco to The Notebook or whatever. They're all, I believe in them when we're doing them. I've never not believed in, in something that I've done. Uh, my If I have a talent, my talent is spotting talent. I think we work with the best writers uh, and I, you know, once once you find that writer, you know, you hold on to him or her no matter, no matter what. And, um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be involved in something I can't be proud of that I want to see myself. And it doesn't mean that they all have to be really smart and about something or, you know, some navel-gazing movie. They can be just something just pure entertainment. But it's got to, you know, I don't know. It's got to be, you know, I've got to be able to look myself in, in the mirror. So there are plenty of things that I've, that I've passed on that have gone on to be successful. But in most cases, I'm, I'm pleased with my initial decision. The best meeting I was ever in in the business was with Mark. This this is for me. He was in better meetings, but this was my best. <laughs> Mark comes in, I get to meet him. He's wearing, we're wearing the uniform. We're wearing a blazer, a white shirt, those jeans, those shoes. <laughs> and I come in, I'm wearing a blazer, jeans, white shirt, those shoes. Katzenberg, Jeff Katzenberg at Disney comes in. He's wearing a blazer, jeans, shoes. And then Robert Redford comes in in the same clothes, and all three of us go, Jesus, and that's how you wear that uniform. (laughs) I'd never seen anything like that, wearing exactly the same clothes, but being a different species of human being. (laughs) I'd like to hear from each of you, what's the best advice you've ever gotten about surviving in this business? Uh, or succeeding, maybe is a better way to say it. I mean, I, the most important fundamental advice I've gotten creatively at all came from Tom Kenny, um, who now we know is the voice of SpongeBob, but he was he was just a stand-up uh, back then, and I was I was working in the back of this comedy tent in at Milwaukee uh, Summerfest, uh, so I could be near the comics and ask them questions and stuff. Has my mic been off the whole panel? And now it just turned <laughs> out. <laughs> um, uh, he's so pensive. Um, the the uh, uh, so and I always I would I got to meet John Stewart, Louis Anderson, uh, uh, Bob Goldthwait. Uh, every every headline comic like eventually would come through Summerfest in Milwaukee, and Tom Ken- I would always like try to just leech advice off of them. And uh, Tom Kenny uh, uh, said to my partner Rob Schraub and I um, and me, um, the uh, now can I work at HBO? I fixed my grammar. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the, the um, it's, what's your advice for young co- comics? But this applies, I think, to uh, uh, carpenters. I think could take this advice. Um, Tom Kenny said, "Go through your set list and cross off every joke that doesn't make you laugh out loud." And and we said, "But that's our whole." Oh. <laughs> um, and it's so true. It's it's like like I just I still think about that advice all the time because you will always. I mean, like he was just expressing these guys are these guys have nothing to be insecure about, and he's describing. Um, Still, that fraud complex that we all have all the time, you will never shake it. And if God willing, if you're successful, it's only going to get worse. It's all you're only going to have more anxiety and more fear of getting caught. It, it is not people will tell you about confidence and all this stuff, but that's just like, if you're not confident, you're not confident. Um, people aren't confident. If you're going to be a writer, you probably shouldn't be confident because you're speaking for people, anyways. Uh, babbling, but um, God, someone kill me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 idea is like just in those moments of doubt of which you will of which you will have one thousand a day, the way to recalibrate, the way to get your compass pointed back towards north is 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 the only thing that's not um, uh, up for debate. Uh, 
Um, it's how you feel. It's if you're writing a comedy, what do you think is funny? If you're writing a horror movie, what is scary to you? If you're, if you're, you, right, yeah, right, right, it, it cuts through all of the crap. Like, like and um, make yourself laugh, make yourself cry, make yourself scared. Just and and then that'll that'll, that'll get you through the next five minutes until you'll have another reason to wonder whether you're funny or what the hell's going on or what's good and what's bad. So, I always just fall back on that. Um, I would say, you know, if in these jobs you get a lot of different versions of, like, the trust your gut advice. But for me, it's, um, this, I was told early on, I worked in an agency before this, and it's a similar thing in, like, finding new talent and believing in people. And um, So I think, but the advice I got was to lead lead other, lead with what you love, you know, it's that way it kind of buys you the stuff that you hate, you know, because I, so if you love something, like, I'll be the first one to say, like, I love Friday Night Lights, my favorite show ever, like, I'll talk about that, and it's afforded me a bunch of, uh, more, a more opportunity to say no, because I've branded myself, as like, these are the kind of things that I love, and therefore this might not be for me, it's, I love what you were saying about, not that I, again, not to tailor your pitch, but, like, knowing who, which executives are going to respond to it, that means a lot, because I do... I'm like a sucker for a couple, a bunch of different things, and so knowing that feels really, um, that's cool. And it's and it's also you know it 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 um, it's hard. people always disagree, right? Like I don't know, I don't know the science of this, I don't know the formula. I know what I love and what I would want to see, and there's so many opportunities. Like you said, there's like so there are so many layers in my company where people disagreeing, and so just being able to stay true to what you're passionate about and kind of like understanding and knowing that is. It's hard to stay, it's hard to do, and I'm working on it all the time. But it's really good advice. It's just because I don't know. A lot of things work, but it's what. Right now, I'm not programming a network. I just have to know what I love and be passionate about the projects I'm working on and champion those. So, but talking about what you love, like I said, it's like then when you're like, I hate this. Nobody will be surprised, you know, because you they know what you like and what you don't like. I think, I think my my advice is spins right off that it's it's just not only trust but go with your instinct it's it's i don't i can't tell you how i spent a lot of time in my early years listening to executives or marketing people who would say you really don't know you don't this is not your area you know the movie but it's really this is how we should sell it and you say really that doesn't look like anything like the movie that that we made or the television show or really is that going to get to the right guess what you're right <laughs> they're they're not right and it has to do with development and and everything else you're going to if 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 you start to cave you're going to fail because you're not going to come up with something that's going to please probably anybody so as odd as it sounds, and, and the other thing that I tell, I, I tell people who ask me about producing, that one of the great things about producing, about the job I do, is that experience doesn't count for very much because whatever you're doing, be it a movie or television show, it has very little reason, resemblance to the one that preceded it or the one that's going to follow it. So whoever was your casting director, whoever was your DP, all of them on the last movie that went great and, and, and or show went great, but they're all wrong for the new one. So what you do is you just look at the at the project at hand and you just you know you're inventive and resourceful and you can put it together. And so truly, as, as corny as it sounds, go with your instinct. Best advice I ever got is the best advice that I can possibly give. It was from a man named John Hammond at Columbia Records. Uh, John discovered uh, all of them, Bob Dylan, Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen. And when I was a, a kid, so I was a musician. And I sang and I played the guitar. And I cold called John Hammond because these were the musicians who I most wanted to be. And he said, what's your name? And I told him. He said, where do you live? And I said, New Jersey. And he said, get on a bus, come on in. And I said, when? And he said, today. You're calling me today? Come in. Which I thought was extraordinary. And I went into New York. I brought my, my guitar. And I sat and I played. And he listened to three songs. And he played the first, played the second, the third, all three of them. And he said, what are you? And I said, I'm a musician. And he said, you're not. 
And I said, well, there goes the rest of my life. <laughs> and he said, you're not a musician at all. You gave me three chords. You, threw, you, know, you gave me a G, C, D, and you threw in an E minor. That was nice of you. And you are primitive. You are not going to succeed in being a musician at all. And there's this man with a tall man with a crew cut and a white cardigan sweater. And... I said, all right, well, I really do appreciate you listening to three of the songs. He said, don't you know what you are? And I said, no. He said, these lyrics are astonishing. He said, I know lyrics. He said, but you can't team them up with the right chords. Don't try. He said, you're a writer. He said, leave my office and write. Write about yourself write about an invention, but write. And I left the office, and on the bus in, I thought I was a musician. And because of John Hammond, I knew I wasn't, and I was a writer. And the advice he gave me was, don't force the audience. I told him I was a musician. He knew better. If I tell you guys anything, you'll know better. If you come and find the moment and you appreciate the show because of the moments in it, that's the best writing I can do. So the, the best advice I ever got is the best advice I can give, which is do not indicate to the audience they're just as smart as you'll let them be. I want to give you guys a chance to ask some questions. Anyone in the audience have questions? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, sure, uh, this question's for Dan Harmon. I was wondering what uh, advantages and disadvantages did you, do you have or did you have when you transferred from NBC to Yahoo? Because we know that community's been is a story of itself. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the question was what, what advantages and disadvantages from moving to, from NBC to Yahoo. I mean, uh, uh, Yahoo. It's not. It's beyond apples and oranges. It's. It, I mean, they they bought the show. They liked the show. They, they they gave me zero creative notes. They only wanted to talk about marketing and promotion, and they just let me do my thing. That was an advantage. The disadvantage was that because of that, I finally found out once and for all the source of all the stress and all the anxiety, all the misery that goes into my horrible, unhealthy process is me. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't NBC and it wasn't Sony. It was that that they they were they were convenient like punching bags for a person who at that point in his life and hopefully this will change needs to go to a dark place to create and and you know they're terrible people so i'm glad it happened to them but uh, <laughs> uh but they, it wasn't they weren't the source they weren't the reason why i was you know why i burst into tears while i'm writing they're not the reason why even though i'm writing a sitcom um, <laughs> they're not they're not they're, they weren't the reason why I, I you know i i am i am compelled by um by some kind of desire to slay my father or whatever, um, and 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 I and so getting permission to do whatever I wanted was a was a f great final atonement with myself because I was like, oh, you're the fucking psycho. <laughs> you're you're sleeping on your office couch every more than ever now. The show is hard because of you, because of you. Um, you are choosing to to <laughs> to to work in misery, and you are choosing to not see your wife, and she's going to leave you go home um, and so um, yeah and I, I will never do that again <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to work on any more projects where I slit my wrists and pour the blood into a cauldron um, and, and, and cry that no one's noticing uh, I, I'm, I'm going to follow my, my joy and my happiness and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help like other writers and kind of like take it take it a little easier uh, season 6 was awesome I, season 6 was great but it wasn't better because of how unhappy I was it was all the, all the moments in, in, in my work that make people happy take about five seconds to make. They take about as long as it takes to laugh at them. And all of the stuff that is the big headache, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's something that I, I'm convinced I need to do in order to, it's just, it's just arrogance. It's, it, that's what writer's block is. It's like, it's arrogance because it's you thinking that you make things. 
and you don't. I mean, not to get this is going to sound more pretentious, but it's actually selfless. You don't do the work. You're like an antenna. You know, you're, you're, you're something's moving through you. It's you're in the way. Get out of the way. Only an arrogant person says, "I got to make this good." Like you, you can't make it good. You're you. You're Daffy Duck, not Bugs Bunny. You, you're you're hugging this pearl and saying, "Mine, mine, 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 mine." It's bad energy. You're gonna get squeezed into an oyster shell by a big genie. You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and another question. This is more yeah. all the way at the back. Yeah. You talked, you asked him about boy meets world, but I was looking you up to tell and you worked on a lot of shows in the 80s. Yes. And I was wondering how you got, you were able to pitch the shows that you did in, in the 80s because I saw, I, I, I don't want to assume it's a development deal. Here's 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 the difference. Uh, there are fewer development deals given given today. But in the '80s, every studio was trying to cash in on what they thought was this golden goose of syndication. Okay, and. Uh, Disney, where I chose to go, I started at Universal. The last comedy they had on the air was Leave It to Beaver, and I put Charles in charge on. And TriStar, which was a new studio, saw that, and I did something with Paul Reiser uh, and, and Greg Evigan and Stacey Keenan, and uh, that ran. And then uh, Jeff Katzenberg said, we want you to come to us, and I said, I'm not ready for you yet. And I put another show in the air, and then Katzenberg, who's... <laughs> Tenacious basically showed up at my house. There was a, a a box. It was about eight feet tall, and and I opened it up, and it was this custom made. Katzenberg. It was Katzenberg. <laughs> it's not eight feet tall. I know. He could have like, been shipped like, through Federal Express. Or, but the the the, uh, the the it was a Mickey Mouse. It was this giant. I mean, gigantic Mickey Mouse. And on the, the finger was a note, and it said, "Michael, come along and sing the song that's made for you and me, Jeffrey." And so I called Lee. I called Lee. I called my 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 agent, and uh, uh, Lee called. Uh, uh, I said, "I'm Caven." I said, "I'm we're, let's go to Disney. They, I'm having my wife is having our first child, and and I got a Mickey Mouse." And he said, "Would you let me handle this?" And I said, "Yeah." And he called Katzenberg, and he said, "My client is in receipt of your rat." <laughs> <laughs> And, and I think Jeff, I think we hit it off because he called me and he was laughing, and we closed the deal that day. Uh, the the answer to your question is when you invest lots of money in somebody in a development deal, the studio then wants to make their money work, and so it is easier. I didn't do it. I had the strength of a deal behind me, and so I had the strength of a studio who wanted to know that that money wasn't being paid for someone who was sitting in his office. And I honestly and quite humbly think that it was all the time that I had a development deal, which was the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, that I was automatically on the air. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the strength of the studios. And on that note, unfortunately, we have to end it. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you so much for our fantastic panelists. Now leaving Nerdist.com.